Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Pat Donovan, joined tonight by Joe Saunders. What's up, everybody? What's going on, Joe? Uh, Hanging out? Yeah, nothing much, man. We're just talk. We were just talking about these Mets rumors. Dude. Yeah, gathering gathering around the hot stove, talking about Robbie Cano to the Mets and his twenty four million dollar annual salary. Do you now think? Makes- uh, do Do you think? Um, you know, in a in a week and a half, we get any uh, big deals at the winter meetings, or you think it's gonna, you know, venture on into January again? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's gonna be pretty active. I mean. DePoto seems intent on tearing it down in Seattle. Um, he's still got at least one more big piece to move if Cano and Diaz do get moved. He's still got Hanniger. Um, I would imagine that that's the next player on the chopping block for him. Um, Corbin's out doing his free agency tour already. Um, I know that I think he was visiting with the Yankees today. And then I think he's supposed to go somewhere else tomorrow if they let him leave. So... Yeah, I think we're going to have a couple of signings and a couple of trades. I don't think it's going to be too quiet. Yeah, I, I'm excited for, for this year. I think this year should be more active. Um, and I mean, it already has been. Yeah, it already has been. That's one. The type of players that are available are much more intriguing. They're not like all 30 home run, can't play defense, first baseman. Um, so. Yeah, but I love them. I love. Well, yeah, for fantasy, but not for real life. <laughs> Yeah, but I like I like dingers. <laughs> All right, Pat. Sorry, okay. Sal. All right, so the big news, of course. Garrett Richards signs with the Padres, two oh, years, 15 mil. No. Wait, what, what was it, two years, 15 mil? Yep, two years, 15 mil. It's the one mm-hmm. year plus the rehab. We don't actually have to talk about this. I just have to leave the show off with it because <laughs> I will always love Garrett Richards. Oh my god. And he's I'm totally like, gonna own him in twenty twenty. He's on life support, man. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's actually talk about the big news. James Paxton traded to the Yankees for Justice Sheffield and a couple of other prospects. So James Paxton, Joe, value up, down, or the same? Uh slightly down in terms of ERA, up in terms of wins. Um overall, probably a wash. Yeah, I pretty much came around to that as well. I think it's about the same. Um, ERA is going to take a hit, as you said. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people are making big deals about, about like, the uh, homer per nine and stuff like that. Like, it was outside of his norm last year. So I think he's got some luck coming, of, coming his way on that end, which should offset some of the homer proneness that's going to occur in Yankee Stadium. So, um you know, I think he'll do a little better on his fly balls overall, and maybe he'll give up a few more at home. But overall, I, I think he should be fine on that end. It might move his ceiling up a little bit and maybe his floor up a little bit. And by up, I mean it gets a little bit worse. Um, but, you know, I mean, Paxton has ace-level skills. Uh, he's he's a pitcher that has 10-plus K per nine. He's got good control. Uh, he's got – the arsenal to make it work. Um, I, I mean, I, I view him like right now, probably ceiling is probably like a 3.15 ERA. I think last year represents his floor. I don't, I don't see him going much above a three, seven type ERA um, even in Yankee stadium. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got ACE level skills. The only thing that I'll 
always and probably ever limit him, and it is just getting to 200 innings, which, you know, you just bank into his cost and you ride it out. Ace level, 150 or so innings. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, another thing was that he, he struggled against lefties last year, and that's the first time in his career he's ever struggled against lefties. That so, could be a problem in Yankee well, Stadium. It could also be just yeah, a noise. radar and yeah. noise. Um, which is what I think it is. Because, I mean, we haven't really seen any kind of decline in stuff. So, what about Sheffield? What are your thoughts on him in a situation where he's going to have a role sooner than later? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely going to get the call this year. Um, I mean, I don't know if he's going to start right out of the gate. Um, it depends on what the Mariners do the rest of this offseason, I think. Um, how they want to structure things. But, you know, I'd be really surprised if he's not up in May or June the latest. Um you know, Sheffield, Sheffield's a, a kid that's done a lot with um, probably not, like, super outstanding stuff, right? He, like, kind of profiles as, you know, a mid-rotation guy, but he's excelled a lot in the minors. Um, you know, he's got a number of different pitches. Um, he's done well in the minors. Um, he do, He's done really excellently in double-A, too. Um, he's had huge spikes in, in – K per nine and double A, but then in his triple A stint, it came back down to earth. Um, so, you know, I think going into next year, um, he's probably not, you know, like the AJ Pucks and the um, Walker Buellers of the world, but um, he should be a serviceable starter for sure. And being outside of Yankee Stadium always helps. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a much better situation for him in Seattle. Um, for multiple reasons. I mean, the ballpark is better. The playing time path is obviously much clearer. Um, you know, there was almost no shot he was going to start the season in the rotation in New York. Um, you know, they added Paxton. They're still in on free agent starting pitchers. They've got a number of in-house options already. And to be honest with you, I mean, it's probably a good thing as well, because even if he was starting in New York, I don't think he would have nearly any appeal with his current skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, he's always struck me as, as kind of a prospect that's um, gotten a little more hype than what the skills have ever warranted. Yeah. Um, you know, I, when I look at him, and I know he's not a ground bowler, but it kind of reminds me of the Marcus Stroman story. Um, you know, it, it's there are some impressive things in his arsenal. I, I don't know that he's got the greatest command in the world. And uh, that shows up in his walk rate as well. So I, I just think that in Yankee Stadium, it would have been problematic. Now, you can make it work with like an eight and a half K per nine, three walks per nine type skills in Seattle, definitely. Um, you know, that could be like a three, seven, three, eight type package. And all you have to do is look at a guy like Marco Gonzalez, who didn't have quite that K rate and had a better walk rate. But like, you know, it's a similar type profile. It's it's not as dominating as a pitcher, a pitcher like Paxton who can make it work anywhere. Um, you know, the ballpark can be his friend um, a, a bit. So I, I think he's sort of got appeal in like the last pitcher sense in 12 to 15 mixed leagues. Maybe maybe he's a little higher than that in 15-team mix, but, you know, he's a, he's a worthwhile flyer at, as your end game, but I wouldn't put him much higher than that in those formats. Um, is, you know, I mentioned Puck. Is, is Puck, do you know if Puck's supposed to be ready for this year? 
I don't think oh, so. Oh, no, yeah, because he yeah. was, like, just at the end of spring training. Or yeah, so. it was, like, March. So I think you're probably looking around the same time frame as Brett Honeywell, which will probably be, like, second half, maybe, is your best-case scenario. Would you rather have the innings and the and probably the lesser pitcher in Sheffield or the probably the better pitcher, but, you know, now coming off an injury in Puck? I'd rather have Puck and Honeywell over Sheffield. Yeah, I'm with you too. But it's one of those situations where you probably can have, at least in a standard mixer, you can probably have both. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sheffield might be a guy that survives the draft and you're able to take Puck and or Honeywell and stash them. Um, or, you know, you take Sheffield with your last pick and you you take Puck and um, you know, when you stash him, you pick up somebody else. You, do you think the uh, the Yankee um, inflation sticks around too for Sheffield? I mean, he was a pretty um, you know, pretty highly touted prospect for them, at least. I mean, he was number one left. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I tend okay. to think that those things kind of go away. Okay. Um, and you know, the Yankee system. They've graduated a lot of guys. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Being yeah. towards the top end of that prospect list isn't what it was a couple of years ago. Sure, sure. Yeah, I was just just curious if you thought that um, everyone's resident Yankee fans in their league, because everyone has one, um, would still be chasing Sheffield. No, no. They once they trade them, those guys go to dirt. You know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, okay, so let's move to Josh Donaldson, who signed with the Braves. Another big deal. One year, twenty three mil. Um, so. A pretty expensive pillow contract, but a pillow contract nonetheless. What do you think of the fit? And this is a nice boost to that lineup, right? This is an excellent fit. Um, this is like the kind of deal they needed to make. And then they made... See, I don't think it's an excellent fit. Okay. I, I know why, right? But um, this is a... this is a, I think this is like a good off-the-field baseball move, um, along with McCann, right? So Donaldson and McCann both... They both give this team some veteran leadership, and that's exactly what this team needs to try and win a championship. Um, on the field, uh, I agree with you, um, and I'll, I'll let you give you your spiel. But because um, I, I know we talked about this offline, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, as far as off the field things, I think this is an excellent fit, and this is the type of player that they needed to go get. Yeah, I mean the potential is obviously huge here, and I, I don't want my poo pooing it a little bit to down. I mean, when healthy Donaldson is among the best hitters in the game and his early NFBC ADP is laughable. He's at 122. I would own him everywhere at that price. Um, SunTrust plays below average for right-handed power. So that's, that's one thing, but that's not my big concern. My big concern is the fact that there's no first base and there's no DH for Donaldson. Um, and he's a guy that's had trouble with calf injuries and soft tissue injuries so there's no place for him to go um, to lessen the strain of having to play third base defense. Um, you know, he, in, in Toronto, he could be a DH. In, in Cleveland, he could DH. Um, what about him Freeman's and Freeman's there, so wait, he's wait, not going to first. Wait, but what about him and Freeman swapping every now and then? Possible, but I, if I remember correctly, Freeman – I'm going to look it. Oh. was not very good at third base. Yeah, you're probably right. But I just want to see how. Oh, yeah. He played 16 games in 17. 
Yeah, and he didn't play a single game in 18. Yeah, that pretty much solidifies that. Yeah, I think Donaldson's going to play third, and I think that's the end of the story. Yep. Um, now, they do have Camargo there. Yep. Who they're going to turn into a super utility guy, so maybe they sort of, you know, give Donaldson a day off every seven to ten days, and that helps keep him healthy. That will obviously drive his volume down. Um, but it is something to be mindful of just because he's got – um, he's struggled with these injuries in recent years. Now, with that said, at 122, it is a ridiculous deal. I seriously doubt that holds because that probably bakes in a lot of um, drafts that were going on before he signed. But like I said to you, Joe, even if he's like going up 25, 30 picks, he's still at like 95, 190 somewhere in that range, somewhere between 90 and 100. Mm-hmm. If he's there, I, I still think that's a fantastic price. I've got him close to 60. So, I mean, I'm like three rounds ahead of an improved price. Okay, wait. I have a question for you. Do you have him over Cruz and E5? I think I've got him over both of them off the top of my head. Let me pull up my rankings, and I will let you know for sure. Okay, can I can Those I? Those guys are all like... Can I ask you to reconsider that though? You can you can ask me anything, Joe. All right, because <laughs> at, le- at least right, the two of them are have still produced, even last year, and the year before that. Yeah, but even even in even in like a brief season, right? Donaldson had like a sixteen percent walk rate, a sixteen percent K rate. So like his skills are pretty sound. So this past this past year, he was at. Uh, 24 almost 25k and 14 walk okay then i was looking at something else yeah, you, might have been, you were looking more. at the partial season so, oh when he moved to the indians it was 16 16 yeah yes okay that was what i was thinking of and yeah, that's yeah. obviously yeah, after the when injury. he came back healthy yeah yeah okay that's fair that's fair um okay so yeah i've got him in front of both i've got donaldson at 58 uh cruz at 64 and Edwin at 61. Okay, yeah. So he paced out for, um, as an Indian, he paced out for 25 homers, 280, and like 65 runs at RBIs, which doesn't really matter. But the, the home runs, it was like 25 home runs. I mean, it was such a small sample, 16 games. But, yeah, I think the, the only beef I'd have is I'd probably, I, I'm almost positive I'll have Cruz and Encarnacion ahead of him. Um, but I can't really, I can't really fault you for moving him up and I'm with you. I think he'll move up, um, probably just within 100. Um, I don't know if he'll crack 80, the 80s. Yeah. I don't think he'll get below 80 because it just seems as though, I mean, there usually is, but I think that this year in particular, it seems there's quite a bit of age related bias. Yeah, well, yeah, you, you had said that Cruz, I, I mentioned Cruz and Encarnacion because in our discussion off, offline, I think you had mentioned that they were up towards 100, right, also? Yep. Yes. Yeah, that's that's crazy to me. Yeah, it's a lot of value. Yeah. Okay, some less popular names. We got Kurt Suzuki signing with the Nats. Yo, he's a podcast favorite, though. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, do you think he could be mixed league relevant? Given his recent years in Atlanta, or do you think the workload will get to him? 
And do you like him better than the aforementioned um, Brian McCann, who's replacing him in Atlanta? Okay, I definitely like Suzuki more um, because he offers a tool set at the catcher position that is um, very, very difficult to come by, and that's batting average. Um, McCann was hurt last year, so you got to give him a little bit of a pass there. Um, but still, even even when healthy, he's not going to hit higher than like 240 or 245. Suzuki can hit in the 270-ish range, which is good. Um, and he could definitely be mixed mixed league relevant because last year he was mixed league relevant given how god awful the position is so um give me kurt i'm still riding yeah i definitely have kurt over mccann um one thing to note on mccann is obviously taking the place of suzuki suzuki in atlanta um the volume isn't going to be that high um because flowers is still there so you're going to have almost a probably what i foresee as like a 50-50 split between the two of them, um, which has worked out for the Braves. And I just expect them to continue to do that. Um, with Suzuki, I, I think the answer is yes, he's going to be mixed league relevant. But yes, I am also concerned about an increased workload um, and him potentially wearing down. Um, he's an older player. He hasn't played um, a full starting catcher's volume in a couple of years now. Um, this might be a case where you – you're going to be able to get him late. You take him late. You hold him for the first two months of the season. You hope that he continues to do what he did in his time in Atlanta. And then you you uh, you flip him out for a more reliable option. Um, you know, you sort of bank the early production, and then you miss the downside of him potentially wearing down in the second half of the year. Yeah, I mean, listen to this line, right? It is not sexy at all, but it was still top 10. 388 plate appearances, 12 home runs. 45 runs, 50 ribbies, and a 271 batting average. Yeah. That's how awful catcher is. Yeah. So pretty much, if you have a talent at catcher, you're pretty much going to end up top 10. And his is just being able to float in batting average. Yeah, and and, he, and provide a little bit of pop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 12 he, didn't, he didn't always have this sort of pop. That's true, it's true. But, you know, even if he's at, like, you know, eight to eight to ten, he's still probably going to be top ten. Well, if things hold like they yeah, did last year, of course. I mean, you know, last year I think was an exceptionally bad year. That's true. I don't think that catcher is going to be that bad. I mean, I don't know how it could be. Okay, let's move to the Twins claiming CJ Crone. Three bombs, just not as valuable in real baseball anymore, as you pointed out, Joe. What do you think of this landing spot for Crone? Is he another Logan Morrison, or do you think the production spike has more staying power? So where's Nick, man? This is his boy. I told you, la I told you last time he's in the upside down. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Fighting the Demogorgons or whatever. Um, so I see Crone's power is more real than Morrison's was. Uh, Crone, he just—it looks like he took a slightly more sellout approach. He increased the strikeout with. And whiff rate and decrease the zone contact um, for the sake of a bit more juice in that swing. Um, his 555 plate appearance average for home runs for his career is right at 24. So pinning him again for something like upper 20 bombs is perfect, perfectly reasonable. Yeah, I mean, he definitely saw that surge in his power output. But, I mean, overall, he's, he's a right-handed 250, 260 hitter 
below average on base skills. And, you know, I, I know that the skills sort of point to an effort to uh, up the power, but I still see a little room for regression as well. Um, you know, because this home run, the fly ball rate was sort of out of whack with his career norms. That's true. If that comes back down a little bit. You're probably looking at around 25, 26 homers, um, mm -hmm. which is, you know, still, still fine for what you're going to have to pay for it. Um, but, you know, he's a 25 homer right-handed bat. So there's no financial commitment there. He's limited defensively. He's not an outstanding OBP guy. And, you know, as a righty bat, he's a short end of the platoon. So there's no lock for full-time playing time. We saw how quickly Minnesota cut the cord on Logan Morrison last year. Um, so Crohn's floor is pretty low. Uh, I don't know that there's much ceiling beyond last year. Now, I think certainly if you get the 30 bombs and, you know, probably around 80 RBIs with the 250 average, you would take that at the cost. But I don't, I don't foresee this getting any better than it did last year. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he, I don't think he gets any better. Um, you know, he's like the type of player that you, you pick up, you ride a hot streak. He, he gives you some numbers while someone's hurt and then he kind of dish out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So we're going to move into a segment called this year's treasure. And we're going to talk about some breakout players from last year and give you a couple of candidates that we think might or, or might not be able to replicate that breakout. So we're going to kick it off with this year's Josh Hader. And the candidates that I have for you, Joe, are Trevor May, Adam Conley, and Ryan Presley of the Astros. So, so Joe, who do you want to talk about here? All right. Can I first say um, none of the three because Josh Hader is an animal on his own? You can certainly say that, but it sort of defeats the purpose of the <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm being a jerk. All right. Uh, so the order for me is um, Presley in May and then a distant Conley. Um, so May, you know, I've talked about him so much uh, last year. I've loved him a lot since the Tommy John, and he really didn't disappoint too much. Um, for As far as Presley goes, he's up the slider and curveball usage, and so he saw the best results of his career. Conley, on the other hand, he doesn't have nearly the strikeout stuff at the other two, um, despite being able to be stretched out the most of the three, um, which kind of puts him in in that hater territory, whereas May and Presley, Presley's been stretched a little bit. May is mostly like a one inning type guy, although he did start um, early in his career. I think he, as, as a minor leader, he started, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, I, yeah, again, I think Presley probably has the best secondary stuff, so I'm going to take him. What are your thoughts? Well, I think May has the best shot of – being a reliever for all formats because uh, he's probably got the inside track at the moment for saves in Minnesota. Um, and he had a very good close to the season as he eventually worked his way towards the job at the very end of the year, 12.7 K per nine, a sub two walk rate, 15.4% swing strike rate, and was using a starter's arsenal with all three of his off speed pitches at 10% plus. Yeah. Okay. So he, he did. He did start too. In the past. no, I no no. no oh, I'm, yes, I'm yes, yes, yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, yes. He did start uh, in the past, prior to the Tommy John. But I think now they've settled on him as a reliever. Yep. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I think 
he's Josh Hader. And I'm going to agree with you. I think the guy that has the best shot of replicating sort of what Josh Hader did is Ryan Presley. Um, similar to May in terms of strikeout numbers, um, the, Caper, the Caper 9 was up around 13, uh, but it came with the 51% ground ball rate, which I like a lot. The walk rate was a little higher. But the big difference to me here is, is the swinging strike rate was at 17.6%. Yeah, yeah. That's fourth in baseball with a minimum of 50 innings pitch. It's only behind Josh Hader, Edwin Diaz, and Blake Trinan. Yep. So that's elite. And as you mentioned, the breaking stuff is pretty sick. So I, I and I and I also think that given the fact that Ozuna is in-house there, um, you know, Presley's going to probably get the opportunity to go one and one third, one and two thirds, be used more freely than May would be if May ends up being the closer where it's sort of the ninth inning or bust thing. Um good. Yeah, especially given now that um Houston's taking a little bit of a shot to their pitching depth, right? I mean we don't know how it's panned out yet. Um but you know even if they get a couple of arms, um it's it'd be probably hard to see McHugh totally out of uh, out of the rotation, right? So well, I, you know, I think I think James or McHugh is definitely going into the rotation. Yeah, right. But so they just got thinner, right? So Presley's probably just going to have to eat up more innings. So yeah, I'm with you on that. And then just one thing on Conley, like Conley was sort of the pitcher here that was sort of the oddity, um, but he had a couple of bad outings in August that really kind of blew up his numbers. Um, Obviously, they all count, but, um, you know, the skills were actually pretty good. Even though it didn't show up in the K rate, he had a 14% swinging strike rate. Um, he saw a big bolt. He saw a big spike in velocity from moving to the bullpen. He was up around 95, and he's got a plus slider and, and a good change. So he's got the pieces, um, you know, similar to what I said about Presley. He's probably going to be a guy that's, since he's been stressed out, stretched out, he's going to work an inning and a third, two innings here and there. And, you know, maybe he's not Josh Hader, but maybe he can sort of be a poor man's Chad Green and roll up 75 pretty good innings. Um, I don't think I would take Conley in pretty much any format, but he's somebody to keep an eye on early in the year, I think. Yeah, I also want to um, – you mentioned – um, Trinan, dude, Trinan's the best. Yes. Like, I didn't, I, I didn't actually realize. This not one. to pat ourselves on the back, but yeah, he we, said this. We definitely nailed that one. But yeah, I did not realize that Trinan's uh, whiff rate was that high. But we so totally which? nailed that. We <laughs> totally nailed that. He was being drafted at like 30th overall a reliever. And we were like, yo, he's got a shot. Of well, it. Joe, you know, according to the ESPN player, <laughs> he's a top 10 player. Wait, Joe. you got to tell that story, man. What story? The story about about Nick and Trinan. Oh, I thought that's what you were talking about. No, no. I was talking about the response that I got when I was hitting on Trey Turner about oh. the ESPN player. Reader. So I was oh. just pointing out that they've got closers in like the top 10. Yeah. Whatever. So whatever. <laughs> All right, so, so this year's Jesus Aguilar and or Max Muncy, the out-of-nowhere hitter without a full-time job. And our candidates are 
free agent, Matt Adams. Mm-hmm. Podcast favorite, the Franchino, Franci, Franchi Cordero. Mm-hmm. And World Series MVP, Steve Pierce. Okay, so I actually forgot that we switched uh, to Franchino. So I'm going to, I'm just going to make the argument for Steve Pierce here. <laughs> okay. I, I believe. I mean, I can talk about Franchino all night. Yeah, and I don't. Um, I pretty much don't believe in Matt Adams. Um, even even still with Franchino, because uh, you know he's he's a the platoon player out of all of these guys. So I just don't see any way that he'll ever be able to compile enough um, to to hit well, uh, hit well enough to 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 beat out these other two. So Pierce, since 2014, when he saw some. Fairly regular playing time. I you, I say regular playing time in quotes. Um, his 555 plate appearance average has been 266, 25 home runs, 69 ribbies, and 70 runs. And like I said, he doesn't have any split issues. Um, and it's still on the loaded Red Sox team. Um, the knock on Pierce's potential playing time is that Mitch Moreland is still around. But if he does get injured and Pierce becomes the regular guy... Um, He's sort of like CJ Crone, essentially. Um, I don't know if that's a full breakout. That's probably not Aguilar and Muncy level, um, but it's still serviceable. Well, the thing about the thing about Pierce is, all right. So, like, like you said, he's he's a player that's you know like a twenty-five-ish homer bat over the course of a full season, but he's never really had the opportunity to play for a full year. So. You know, you're talking about a lot of bits and pieces of seasons, and he's a player with the, that always seems to get hurt too. So that sort of cuts against him, but it also works for him. You know, there are years in there where his, um, where maybe his production was down because he was hurt, or he hadn't quite come back from the injury yet and started to play, and it affected his production. So. Um, you know, maybe a full year of health leads to, you know, another level of production, um, you know, but the Moreland point's great too, because Pierce, even though he doesn't have the platoon issues, might not be a guy that they want playing every day. They might want to roll the platoon out there because Moreland's got that fantastic glove too, which we always forget about, yeah. but it keeps him in the lineup. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that sort of cuts against Pierce. I would take Cordero here. Um, He's a bit of a different animal from the other two. He's definitely the most explosive of the three, and and has the he's got the real legitimate shot of doing this, but he's also got probably the biggest downside. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, all you have to do is look who's there. So you have many more go. You have Fred Mill Reyes. You have Hunter Renfro. You have Will Myers. Now, there's been some speculation that San Diego is going to move one of those guys or more, but um, they also have Travis Jankowski. But you know. It, it's unlikely that they're going to move all of them enough to clear a clean path for a friend for, uh, I'm going to keep calling him Franchino now because that's what we always call him. But that's, but that's going to clear. It's unlikely that that's going to clear a full path for, for Franchi. Um, so <laughs> Cordero started to seize control of a full-time job. He got hurt. And, and that was pretty much the end of his year. Uh, at various times, those other players have flashed, um, and that makes the playing time conundrum one of the more interesting to watch this offseason. Um, but let's talk about the skills. So minimum 100 plate appearances. Frenchie was ninth in the bigs with a 48.2% hard contact rate. Sandwiched between Aaron Judge and Tommy Pham. Good company. 
Um, he's got a line drive approach, so he's a good bet to be a plus BABIP guy, which is important because he does have the K rate issues. Um, and, you know, at 30 plus percent, he's going to need to be a 320 to 330 BABIP guy to keep his head above water. Um, but if he can get that K rate down a little bit with increased exposure uh, to big league pitching and get it down to about 28, somewhere between 28 and 31 percent, I think he could seize full-time playing time and be a 30-15 type bat with about a 260 average. Yeah, yeah. Again, right? Like he's just he's just the most polarizing player of the three. And I agree with you. I think the skill set is he's got a lot of hard contact. He can definitely put the ball over the fence. He can swipe some bags, right? Something the other two can't really do at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's got. He's got probably a fairly big leash um, in San Diego because there's just really not too much out there. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with you that I think Franchino is definitely the most likely to, to be in this category. But, again, I stand by that he can – he's also most likely to be a big fat zero. Yeah, just get sent down to start the year and never heard from him again. Yeah, that is definitely in his range of outcomes. Yeah, but that's exactly the type of player you, like you're trying to roll the dice on. I mean, um, do you have his ADP? Uh, I do not, but I know in the two early mocks he was around 250. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, I mean 250, right? That's exactly where you want to be doing this. Yep. Uh, let me look. Let me look. Let me look. So I, I, I'll just talk about Matt Adams because I did have a couple of notes on him when sure. I looked that up. So with Matt Adams, I mean, like you said, he's a pure platoon bat. And at this point in his career, it's unlikely he's going to get the opportunity to face lefties. And he's sort of done this over the last couple of years where um, he didn't really have a defined role. He found his way into playing time. He hit like 12 homers in 20 days. Nick lost his mind over him and then was never heard from again as he came back down to earth. Now, being that he's had 20 homers in each of the last two years in abbreviated playing time, it means he has a potential, like 265, 270 bat with like 30 homer potential. If he plays most, you know, if he, if he sees 550 plate appearances, he could be a 30 homer bat. Well, yeah, which is like pretty much impossible. He's got to see like, he's got to see like 450 against righties. Yeah. Which is like probably like 700 quote unquote plate appearances, right? Like if he was paced out to see full, 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 a full season. And just face righty, it'd be like righties. It'd be like. Well, the point would be that you know, like he would, he would see some at bats against lefties in that scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is, like I said, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So uh, Cordero was two fifty four in the two early mocks. Okay, so which yeah. is like yeah, really good, right? That's free. Um, you know, if he's in the minors, whatever, you cut him. No big, nothing lost. Nothing lost, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That'll move it to this year's Aaron Hicks, Mitch Hanniger, Stephen Piscotti. You have to take this one first. <laughs> Why? Because I've just been talking nonstop about Mitch Hanniger for the last three yes. days. Yes. And the Mets aren't even going to get him. No, the Mets aren't going to get him. They're going to trade for the stupid closure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <so> <laughs> the candidates, Scott, Scott Shepler, Jock Peterson, and Manny Margot. So I think – Piscotti is probably the guy 
that I would take here. Um, I'm sorry, not Biscotti. Biscotti's one of the guys. Yeah, that, you wish. That I'm sorry. <laughs> you blew my mind when you made me talk about Mitch. Um, no, the guy, the guy that I think I would take here is probably Shevler. Um, he's put together two pretty solid years in Cincinnati and saw an uptick in walk rate last year. Adam Duvall's out of town now. Um, so the hope is that Shevler can see close to a full-time playing time load. According to Steamer, that's a high 20s power bat with some speed and the potential for solid counting numbers, um, hitting either near the top of the lineup or in the middle of it in what is a very productive lineup. Um, I think he's a really nice asset. He's basically a poor man's Hanniger or a near mirror image of what Piscotti would put together value put together value-wise last season. Um, concerns the ground ball rate did surge a little bit. So that's something to keep an eye on. But if Shevler can get the fly ball rate back to 2017 levels, it's easy to see a path to 30 homers in Great American. Um, he's maintained a 20-plus percent homer to fly ball rate. So when he does put the ball in the air, it's leaving the yard at a pretty good rate. Um, so I'm definitely going to own a few shares of Shevler, who is pretty cheap. Um, as for the other two, I mean, Peterson is sort of a similar profile to Shevler, except he's got the platoon issues. And he's also got a team that just seems reluctant to allow him to uh, work through those platoon issues. Um, you know, I know that the Dodgers obviously gave him ample opportunity earlier in his career um, or what you might consider ample opportunity. Um, but Peterson sort of suffers from the fact that the Dodgers are good, whereas the Reds probably still aren't there yet. Um, so Peterson's not going to get the benefit of the doubt in terms of lefty. So he sort of becomes Matt Adams. Um, you know, as a strong side platoon bat, daily lineups, Peterson is really good because he absolutely crushes righties. Um, you know, and, and this might be a case where you wait and you take both of them and, and you sort of play Peterson against the righties. Then you just play Shevler every day when Peterson's going up against the lefty. You hit the nail on the head. You get a really, really nice player that way. That's that's actually a strategy. So I had I had I think I, I'm I'm with you. Manny Margot is I don't know if you said you're out on Manny Margot, but like he's he's the, the third one out. I'm not out, but he's definitely the third one I would want here. I think yeah. there are better options with more secure playing time. Okay, yeah. So I'm with you there. I put words in your mouth, but I'm glad you agree. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah, I, I had Peterson here. Um, because I think talent-wise, he's still probably got the most talent of the three. Um, but you you mentioned a really good strategy, and I like it. Um, because right now, as the Dodgers are currently constructed, it's hard to think that Peterson's going to get the playing time. Now, do the Dodgers move Puig and, you know, Peterson sees more playing time. I don't know. Who knows? We can't speculate. So right now, I think the strategy, and that's a good one, you, you plug in Shebler full-time, and then when Peterson's playing against righties, you plug him in. Because he's a he's a plus-plus player against the righties. Can we speculate for a second? Sure. How amped, on a scale of 1 to 100, would you be if we got traded to the Indians? How amped would I be? Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I mean, I'd be pretty amped. 
I was about to say, I was like, Joe, where are you going with this? Because but, I'm pretty amped, man. Like, but the only for like 650 plate appearances. Listen, that's the thing. That's the thing, right? I think it's easy to predict him for 650, but he kind of gets banged up here and there. Yeah, he does. Like, but... he gets those nagging injuries. Like, those ones yeah. where he's, like, out for, like, uh, like three or four days. And then, like, yeah, he's but, back. Yeah, but he's also not going to hit, like, ninth for no reason at all. No, yeah, that's true. Oh, my God. What a disaster this past year was. And he's still crushed. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. point. Like, I'm yeah. still it up. <laughs> I'm up. He gets, like, it's, like, four or five in that lineup. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. Like, it just explodes. I know. I know. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely in on that. I, I want to see yo, seriously though, so bad. The thing is too, is I can see him going there and just having so much fun with Lindor and Ramirez. Like the three of them just get get along buddy buddy and he just pops off. Do you think that I mean we're obviously speculating, but do you yeah, think this that, is all speculation? Okay. Do you think that I haven't heard that Rich Hill would be involved in this deal. Do you think it's possible? Uh, for who? Kluber or, or Bauer? For one of the pitchers, yeah. It's Rich like a one-year stopgap. No, I don't think so because um, that's probably more money than the the Indians want to take on. Hmm. But like if the, the Dodgers the, pay it down. I, yeah, yeah. Then yes, but then then who are well but like what are the dodgers gonna do how are they gonna like add trevor bauer to this rotation <laughs> or whoever it is like i i mean obviously you you do add trevor bauer but it's well just, unless they have 55 pitchers like eventually they're gonna have to trade one unless if the move is puig hill and then like some sort of other player right like a prospect yeah yeah like a prospect to offset and then the indians take the money yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, that was what they I, could just say here, take $9 million and take Rich Hill. That was my thought. Yeah, exactly. That was kind of my thought was, all right, so you you eventually do have to clear some of some of these guys. You can't – I mean, you can, but it just seems to me that, like, there's, there's such an excess there. And Cleveland's not trying to, like – blow it up per se they're kind of saying well we know we're good enough right now to win our division and we're gonna try to extend the lindor jose ramirez window right yeah okay what about wood instead who's at six million that could work too i mean it could be either one of them yeah but they're both free agents after the year i'm just thinking like, oh yeah but which you know this one year you know as a replacement for Bauer or for Kluber or whoever the hell it is, it, it, it sort of bridges the gap, you know? Yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. Oh, well, actually, I'm sorry. So 6 million was 2018. So he's still in arbitration. He's still in arbitration. I think so, he's going to make around nine. Okay. I, I think I yeah, saw so, the spec. Right. So that's probably it, right? They say, okay, either give us, Rich Hill and nine million, right? And then it's nine million. They're paying nine million for Rich Hill, or give us Alex Wood. Yeah, that's probably the move. You're probably. Yeah, I think yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. All right, we can stop speculating now. Yeah. All right. So this year's Patrick Corbin, the pitcher that goes from the middle of the pack to elite. The candidates: John Gray, Luis Castillo, 
and the gas man, Kevin Gossman. All right, this one was tough. I actually spent some time thinking about it, I promise. Oh, you didn't just like scribble down in your notepad with your crayons? No, but I was <laughs> out of my sippy cup. All right, I'm still gonna go John Gray. Um, I am too. Okay, it's not Gaussman, as I think he's got the weakest stuff of the three. Gray's problem is the fastball, as we know. Um, but the Gray to Corbin comp is just so easy to see, and that if Gray just throws the slider like an animal, like Corbin did, um. It's easy to see the translation. So that's really why, right? Gray has the best pitch of the three of them, and he's the most like Corbin of the three of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is sort of where I arrived with this one. With Castillo, it, it wasn't the best selection for this list, Pat, um, because <laughs> Castillo is so damn expensive. I mean, Castillo is like the 32nd pitcher off the board right now, according Still, to the NFC ADP. Yeah, you're paying like full price for whatever you expect Luis Castillo to give you. Well, his ERA was what, like 4-2? I think it was like 4-7. He was high. Well, I mean, he had a terrible stretch there. Yeah, and he had a great second half. Like he a did, he great did. second half. He was Let's like see, a 2. Was, oh, it was 4-3, 4-3. 4-3, okay, so I, I had it wrong. Yeah. Um, but it was he was sub three in the second half last year, um, you know he really got his command back. He looked great, but uh, he, he, all the value is sucked out based upon his ADP. Oh yeah, John Gray is going in the two early mocks. He's going pretty much seventy picks after Luis Castillo. Yeah, and I think that translates to NFBC as well. Um, I'll take a look. So it, it, it's sort of a situation where. If they were equally priced, I'd probably take Castillo. But the fact that I can wait on John Gray, some 25 to 30 starting pitchers, and then get him um, makes me want John Gray. Now, John Gray is not a pitcher without his flaws. As you pointed out, Joe, fastball is a problem. Command in the zone is a problem. But yep. he's got the stuff to he's got the stuff to be effectively wild, to strike guys out. Um, and you know, I, I, I'm sort of hoping that he quits what he did in the second half last year, even though it was um, better results-wise. Because after coming back up from that stint in the minors, he was much more pitched to contact. And it just so happened that the Babbitt gods decided to take mercy on him at that point. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, it was like seven and a half case per nine, like walks per nine, almost three. Um, you know, he was looking a little bit like Kyle Freeland. And I'm not convinced Kyle Freeland can make that approach work. And I know that I don't trust John oh, to make God, that approach no. work. Yeah, yeah, no way. Um, so, you know, it is a bit of a gamble, but it does have a lot of upside. Gossman, I'm I'm kind of with you. Like, I think he's kind of become, in Atlanta at least, I view him more as like a solid floor guy, which sounds yeah, strange to say exactly. about Gossman. Yep. But, like, I think he's sort of like that Lance Lynn profile right now, like eight, eight and a half case per nine. Okay, walk rate. Sometimes he gives up a few too many homers, but I think close your eyes, and at the end of the day, it's going to be like a three seven five three eight ERA that you'll be happy with. But I don't know that it's going to get a lot better than that unless he, you know, really de-emphasizes the fastball and the slider has to tick up as well because right now the splitter is his only real plus pitch. If he can get the slider a little bit better, 
Um, you know, Tehran's got a great slider. Maybe he works with Tehran a little bit, um, and and the slider can tick up, and then maybe he de-emphasizes the fastball. Atlanta's a smart organization. I suspect that they can get the most out of Gosman that is there, but I'm just not convinced there's a whole lot more other than, you know, 375, 3.8, and a respectable carry. And, and innings as well. You know, I think at this point you can kind of say, all right, Gosman's going to give me somewhere between 150 and 180 innings and take that to the bank. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what Castillo did. Um, I think it was a mechanics thing. Yeah, it, it must have been because the pitch usage, I mean, it, it fluctuated, but it wasn't like crazy. Give me, give me a little bit. So first off, you're right that, um, that, uh, that Castillo is he's 121 in NFBC and Jonger is 191 in NFBC, so it's still yeah. the same 70 gap. Um, mechanics thing, mechanics thing, yeah. So his horizontal his horizontal positioning changed over the course of the season. Um, so maybe maybe that's it. The pitch mix didn't change a whole lot. Um, I mean, I know we did have some terrible luck too at the at the the first half of the year, but still, even even you know even with the great second half in terms of results, the K stuff still isn't as high as peak John Gray could be. Um, so that's why yeah. that's why I think that's why if I had to roll the dice, I'd take um, Gray, even even if maybe I do like Castillo more than Gray as an overall package. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly where I am. I think that Castillo is the more attractive piece, but he's not 70 picks or 25 to 30 starting pitchers more attractive to me than John Gray is. Yeah, and again, right, in keeping with the, the question, I think Gray has the potential to be an elite pitcher, whereas Castillo, I think, could be really, really, really good, but I think Gray can be like, yeah, again, elite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that that's I think that's a fair assessment. Okay, so this year's Zach Wheeler, Mike Fultonevich, the pitcher that breaks out after injury or poor pass production. Well, somewhat of a repeat, but not quite. Nick Pavetta, Dylan Bundy, or our old friend Michael Pineda. Pineda Pinata. Okay, so this is a good trio to include, actually. This one, this one, I think you did the the best picking here, um, because they've all flashed brilliance at different parts of their careers, right? Each one of them have been good for maybe extended seasons or parts of seasons, but all have flashed really, really good stuff. Um, my gut still says Pavetta, as the curveball has really taken a step forward last year, and. Um, Right now, it's probably the best pitch of the three of these guys. Um, I know Dylan Bundy's slider last year was excellent, but he lost it this year. Um, and it kind of really unraveled. Pineda is just too volatile for me in terms of health and even mediocre results. So uh, I'm still going to go with Pavetta. I think if Pavetta does something... You know, like a lot of these other pitchers have done, cut the fastball usage, increase the secondary stuff, he can improve. Yeah, this is sort of the same analysis as I just gave in terms of Castillo and Gray. Um, but that is ridiculously expensive, too. I mean... 
What's the price? He's got, he's got a career 533 ERA. Last year, he was a 477. He's NFBC. He's SP42. He's 157. That is expensive. So, I mean, I, I you got to like the skills. It, it's a 10-plus caper down package. Oh, my God. Sub you're three, right. Dylan Bundy's free. Yeah, sub three walk rate, <laughs> which explains the good peripherals, but I think he's got a little bit of the Michael Pineda sickness. Um, he lacks the command inside the zone and gives up the homers. Um, and, he, and he also lacks Pineda's control because Pineda's like pinpoint. Um, so despite good velocity, the fastball has been a pretty substantial negative. He can stand and throw it less because he's got good breaking stuff. Uh, if he does that, he's got a shot. But even without that, I mean, there's a chance that luck breaks his way a little more and he's a high fours or he's a high threes or a low fours ERA guy. But you're, you're really paying for pretty substantial improvement that hasn't come yet. Um, and I'm, I'm always leery of these types of guys because a lot of people tend to like this type of player just based upon the peripherals. And I mean, SP42 is expensive. Let me tell you who's going beyond him, right? Are you ready for these names? Eduardo, I know, Eduardo I, Rodriguez. I know Rich Hill is one of them. Rich Hill and Dallas Keuchel. I'm okay with Keuchel. <laughs> such a hater. I am such a hater. Yeah, but Eduardo Rodriguez made me go, Aah! Yeah, you're you're out's good. Actually, I mean to be fair, Keiko probably should be going ahead of Pivetta too. But yes. listen, uh, let me let me let me give you a little something though. So um, the command, you're definitely right, is not there. But the thing is, is when he does have his fastball command, he looks he really does look lights out. Like when he's hitting when he's hitting his spots with his fastball, and that's the problem, right? The fastball is so mediocre. But when it when he does hit, I mean, he's like. He can zip through seven innings, no problem. It's oh, just yeah. that there's no consistency. Yes. And yes. The, the the thing is always that all three of them suffer from this. But to your point, right, Pavetta is the most expensive. And Pavetta also has the velocity. True. Because when we talk about Bundy now, moving to Bundy, the velocity left him last year. He was his fastball was like ninety one. Um but the skills overall are pretty similar to Pavetta. You know, nine nine plus K per nine, sub three walks per nine. But it, Bundy was just a homer machine. 2.15 homers per nine was the worst among qualifiers by half a homer per nine. Mm. That's significant. And while always homer prone, this represents a 33% increase above his career average prior to last year. Put simply, like that homer rate is on the outer range of outcomes for Bundy, and you should expect some regression. Um, you know, Bundy could definitely benefit, like Pavetta, from de-emphasizing the fastball a little bit. If he does that and increases the emphasis on his excellent slider, Bundy could experience a really nice bounce back year, and he's going off at SP74. So that's one of your last pitchers, if not your last pitcher on the board. Um, so I like Bundy quite a bit. Bundy is my pick here because I think Pineda is what he is. And that's not to say that it's anything bad. Pineda's ADP is amazing right now. He's he's after SP100. So he is very, very cheap in the early going. People are down on the injury and they're down on the player. Um, keep in mind, Pineda has moved to Minnesota now. So now the ballpark is not such a factor anymore. If he's throwing strikes and not walking guys, he's got a shot to be like a 
3-6 type guy, um, you know, if things break absolutely perfect for him, especially in that division where there are two, two and a half bad lineups in that division, there's a chance that, you know, he, he can put together a very nice year. And even if he doesn't, you know, he's a good source of wit. Um, he can strike guys out a pretty good clip somewhere between eight and a half and nine and a half for nine. Um, and he, I, I, I just think that Pineda is going to be a guy that sort of floats under the radar because people have kind of forgotten about him. So I, I give it to Bundy, but I would put an asterisk next to Michael Pineda's name as well. Um, so I just want to add some stuff. So Bundy definitely saw a drop because of a mechanical change. Um, so his horizontal release points have been pretty consistent. His vertical release points up to 2018 were fairly consistent. And then 2018 saw um, a significant increase. Let me get you the percentage right now. 6.23 minus 6.07 minus 6.23. A significant enough. It's 3%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's in terms of feet. Um, so it was something like two or three inches in his vertical release point. Um, so and this that, was and was this consistent through all of last year, or was it uh, like a DL stint and then he came back? And let me look at the month by month. Um, for the most part, at the beginning of the year, yeah, he was never as he never threw as low as he did in the previous year. Years, hmm, interesting. So throughout the whole year, he was higher up. So you wonder if that was maybe like a little, a little injury, and then he was trying to account for it, and that was, that's what led to the problem. Could have been, could have been totally. But yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely a change. So, yeah, he's something to work. Something to watch out for. I so yeah, right in a vacuum, I pick these players, but with the ADPs, it certainly changes things. And I didn't realize Pavetta was going to be that expensive. Yeah, people are on Pavetta. I mean, I and... still, I still probably like him the best of the three. Again, like I said, I picked him because I, I like him as the best pitcher. But 150 picks, that's a lot. Yeah, and 42 is and 42nd overall, 42nd starting pitcher is a lot. There is no way I'm taking him over Eduardo Rodriguez or Rich Hill or Dallas Keuchel. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you're right. I think you're right, um, and I don't think I'd take him that high. I mean, I'm, not, I'm a big Pavetta believer, but yeah, 42 is expensive. Yeah, because he's got to deliver at that price. Whereas yeah. if you're drafting Bundy or Pineda and they have a bad three or four weeks – you can just cut bait. Yeah, you I mean, don't have to. You don't have to hold them. Even Gray, forty picks later. I mean, like, aren't they kind of the same player? What Gray and Pavetta? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so the only difference is the only difference is, is that you had to invest in Gray last year, so now he's burnt people. Sure. Gray was last year's Pavetta. <laughs> yeah. 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 Except that Gray actually had a good year the year before, as opposed to Pavetta, who posted a four-seven. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I hate to say it, but like I kind of feel like Nick Pavetta's got got 
Ricky Nolasco disease a little bit. No. I think he's. I think he might be the peripheral darling that everybody wants to be good. No. I, I mean, and I say that as somebody that likes Pavetta's skills. It's just, ugh, that is, that is way too rich for my blood. Okay, Joe, you got anything else tonight? Anything you want to add before we sign off? Um, I don't know. It looks like the Mets are just screwing up their lives yeah. right now. The uh, uh, it won't be it won't be that bad if they if they make this deal for Cano and Diaz. Um, I can work my way through it if they don't trade Syndergaard. If they trade Syndergaard. I have no idea what the hell they're doing. Okay, well, the talk of town is Bruce and Swarzak for sure, and then two of three of Dunn, McNeil, and... Uh, Kalenic. Kalenic, yeah, sorry. So two of three of them? That's pretty expensive, man. That's pretty hey, expensive. The, the Mariners better be giving back a lot of money. Yeah. If that's the case. Well, they are eating quite a bit in the bad contracts. Yeah, but they better be paying a lot, lot of that. Yeah, there better be two of those guys. Yeah, there better be, there better be a pretty substantial sum coming back. You're right because that back end of that contract once Bruce and Pavetta, once Bruce and uh, Pavetta, we talked about so much. Are, yeah, <laughs> Bruce and Swarzak are, you know, that's like a one year and then a two year contract. I mean, they're not going to help you with the twenty four million when Cano is forty. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. We're gonna find out tomorrow, I think. So. Yeah, yeah. They say uh, everyone's saying right now that um, the deal is pretty much gonna be confirmed tomorrow. All right. Well, we'll see. Maybe, maybe Mitch can find his way into this deal yet. <laughs> Keep living the dream, Pat. I, I can't give up hope. Uh, <laughs> all right, that's gonna wrap it up for us. Uh, I'll be back with either a guest episode or a solo show in a couple of weeks. And thanks so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Patrick FWO. Peace out. Peace. Bye.